Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rambling Rev. I am your host, Pastor Scott Dalen, an ELCA pastor in Southwest Iowa, and I present these episodes every week for a couple of different reasons. The first of which is to take my brain out of the mode of background work over the course of the week and move into the process of preparing the sermon that I'll preach to my congregation for the weekend. That is the first. The second is just to allow you, the listener, who have graciously given of your time to listen to me ramble, just to allow you to gain some different insight into the assigned text for the week. So that is why I do these. Now, all of that being said, I'm going to ask you folks out there for just a little bit of grace. I know that I've been a little bit spotty in releasing episodes in recent weeks. I can only blame the weirdness in my brain because of the whole social distancing, online worship format, different of difference, differences. It's, it's all weird. It's all strange. And because of that, of course, I have not been getting episodes out every week as I prepare the the online worship opportunities for my congregation. So if you're looking for these coming out every week, my apologies that they've been a little bit spotty. Who knows if that will continue uh, on into the future, but uh, I'm getting one out today as I consider things for this coming weekend. This Sunday is April 26th, 2020. It is the third Sunday of Easter. And our gospel story comes out of Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. It's a little bit of a long one. It's commonly known as the road to Emmaus. Uh, This particular situation, story, whatever we want to call it, episode, if we want to call it that, moment, it uh, happens actually the day of the resurrection. It's, It's going on kind of throughout the course of the day. It's set at least a little bit into the day because uh, there is a reference to the report of the women from the tomb post running into Jesus there. And uh, that is something that's referenced by the people that are involved with this particular situation. It, it carries on over the course of a little bit of time passes. And uh, eventually, by the end of it, it's the end of the day, end of that particular day. But that setting is important. This is still Resurrection Sunday, even though we are, you know, a couple of weeks past that at this point. So that being said, I'm going to go ahead and read this then, and we will get into it. Again, Luke 24, 13 through 35. Now, on that same day, a.k.a. Day of the Resurrection, uh, two disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them what things, and they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But he had hoped, oh, I got to start that one over, because this is an important line. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So we went in to stay with them. 
When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. All right, so that's the passage. There is a lot going on here, uh, a lot of different directions that we could get into, things that, that might be worth exploring as we consider the whole overarching situation. Now, from the personal standpoint, this is a passage that I've worked with a lot. If memory serves me correctly, it actually comes up every single year in the lectionary. Now, don't quote me on that. I could be wrong about that, but I feel like it's come up a lot and that I've worked, because of that, I've worked with this particular passage many times. And, and there's one thing that that always catches my attention. Every single time I, I connect with this passage, every time I come to this passage, there's one thing that really, really jumps at me. And that is the apparent expectations of Cleopas and this other unnamed disciple, whoever this, this second person is. And, and that's that statement that I kind of flubbed and had to go back and restart as, as I was reading it. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. So I think that... That's that one line, that one statement we had hoped reveals volumes about what they thought was going to happen and how Jesus' death utterly shot that in the foot or utterly disrupted that expectation. Now, of course, they go on from there. They, they have heard the reports of the women, even though these two who seem to be a part of the larger group of disciples of Jesus, not part of the 12, because we hear they eventually run back to, to uh, Jerusalem and, and encounter the, uh, the, the other disciples. We hear it called the 11, because Judas is, of course, no longer with them at this point. But, so this is apparently these, these two individuals, Cleopas and the other, are, are part of the larger group. And so they have heard the report of, of the women, but as now the, the Sabbath is over, with it being Sunday, the Jewish Sabbath was over, and it's now daylight. That's why they're walking home. They're, the festival is also over, the festival of Passover, which had brought them to Jerusalem. So they're just going home to Emmaus. And, uh, and during this period of time, that, that's what's passing throughout the course of the story. And, and so they, they have not yet encountered Jesus, even though the women have and even though throughout the course of the day, the, the disciples also, the 12, I should say, or the 11, also seem to encounter Jesus. We hear that Peter has encountered him directly and that, that perhaps what we hear about in John's gospel of the, the resurrection appearance of Jesus that evening to the disciples has perhaps already happened before, before Cleopas and the other one get back to Jerusalem again. You know, there's this passage of time, these different things that are going on during the day, and, and it makes me wonder, what exactly is Jesus up to? He really seems like he's bouncing all over the place if we begin to take all of these different accounts and kind of squeeze them together. Now, that said, there's, there's a danger to doing that. We call that harmonizing the Gospels, and sometimes we can get ourselves in trouble when we do that because we begin to insert details that maybe are not there on behalf of this one particular evangelist or one particular author and, and things can at times depending on the story start to contradict themselves a little bit yet i say that and then at the same time i'm i'm, I'm doing exactly that as i think about john and i think about matthew's gospel we and even a little bit of mark but mark we don't really have much of this whole follow-up portion but so 
all of that being said, I think it's it's understandable, given what had happened the few days prior to this, that these two individuals would have witnessed, would have been, or what they would have seen. You know, they're all gathered together. It, it stands to reason that, that these two would have been included in the group at the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Luke's gospel, one thing I really appreciate about that story as we back up a little bit, is that there is a distinction between those who are shouting Hosanna, 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 and then the others who are saying, hey, you all need to calm down or else the Romans are going to come get us. And so with that being said, these two were probably in the first group of, of cheering for Jesus. And then as the week of the festival goes on or the, the week leading up to the festival, they're around for that. And then Jesus is arrested, and Jesus is tortured, and Jesus dies. And if the leader of a movement, the leader of any sort of thing, dies, that really drags that movement to a halt. And they seem to know that he is the Messiah, or he's, he's claimed to be the Messiah, or they have named him as the Messiah. But what does it speak to in terms of what their opinion or what their thought about the Messiah is going to be, the one to redeem Israel? What does that mean? And maybe Jesus did redeem Israel. I like to think personally that Jesus has redeemed the entire world. But maybe that's not the worst statement for them to make. But it's just, what does that mean? What does that mean in their minds? What does that mean in their expectations? What does that mean in their tradition? You know, all of these different things really come into play. And that, I think, is is very, very prominent and continues to catch my attention. Clearly, I've been talking for a fair amount of time here just on this one statement. You know, there's so much other stuff going on in this long passage. There's the the conversation that the two of them are having. They're, they're, and, and we don't know exactly what's going on in that conversation. What are the things that they're talking about? They're just discussing. Maybe they're discussing the report of the women and how it seems to be unbelievable because he was dead. We all knew he was dead and dead people don't live again. The resurrection itself is laughable when we really think about it that way. But, and then Jesus shows up. And this is some evidence that we find that whatever life in the resurrection is going to look like or be like, we will somehow be changed because Jesus is apparently somehow changed. They are unable to recognize him. We hear that from from other resurrection accounts, too, that people don't recognize him. We hear again, going to John, when he when he joins the disciples in the upper room, that he is apparently able to just pass through locked doors or pass through walls and be among them. And yet he still bears marks of the resurrection. There's the marks in his hands and, and the wound in his side. So all of that is, is, is going on so that he is somehow different. And this is, I think, an important distinction because we do have a few stories of Jesus raising people from the dead. Lazarus is the most famous one, but there's a couple other ones as well. And and it stands to reason that these three individuals who Jesus has raised from the dead are not yet in the resurrection. And, and this is, I think, an important distinction, that life in the resurrection is somehow different than just being brought back to life. Those three people continued in life and then probably died again. It stands to reason that they died again. And because Jesus is the first to enter into the resurrection, quote unquote, the resurrection. And, and that has happened now. And that's what we, we celebrate through Easter Sunday, as well as the season of Easter. And really, we celebrate it every Sunday. Every Sunday is a celebration of our risen Lord. But, but this is just one more example. Now, 
there's a, a lot else that goes on as Jesus begins to open their minds or open the scriptures to their uh, open their minds to the scriptures. There's a Greek word dianoigo that means to open completely, and that's the word that is utilized there. I love that word that he opens their minds to understand the things about him, and yet they still don't know it's him. And it's not until that night when he comes into the 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 house with them to and they break bread and it's in the breaking of the bread that they finally recognize him and then he disappears and they're like oh man this is amazing and they run off to back to uh, you know it took them all day to walk there and then they run back to jerusalem and uh and find the disciples and, sh- and share what has happened we have seen the lord i think that's the the ultimate thing now all of these things being said because i've been talking for a while here what's the takeaway for this whole thing what does this mean for us today as we think about the idea of preaching and, and, and sermonizing and, and a message for, for to be heard, that's always the, 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 uh, the important aspect of, of preaching is, is how do, what do we take away from all of this, this, the story, the details, the mood, the context, all of that, and bring it into a message? Well, I think expectations are the big thing. And I feel like I've been talking about this a lot. If you happen to catch my sermons, which I have been posting, even when I haven't had episodes that it seems to be an ongoing theme through this whole social distancing and, and COVID-19 isolation and separation and everything that's going on. Uh, all of our expectations for this time of year are getting blasted out of the water, just like the two disciples. They had their expectations of what the Messiah was going to do. And then Jesus died and that didn't fit the bill. I'm thinking about so many different things and so many different individuals who are are probably feeling like they are losing something now. I actually just had a conversation with a couple of my former youth group kids, one of which is a senior in high school and is, of course, now missing graduation and missing prom and missing missing the, the you know, the, just that that gradual down downward slide of the last couple of months of of high school and and she's upset about that, and understandably so. I, I feel for her in that regard. And, and I think that's just one, one example. How many different ones may we all have as we're moving into spring and, and the expectations of what spring is supposed to be like and the, the ability to get out and to, to share space with one another and to share all kinds of things. And yes, perhaps we can, we can do that to, a, to some degree, but we're not able to really be out and engage in, in the world like we hope like we think, like we expect. And that seems to be, I think, a tough pill to swallow. But where's the good news? Because there is good news too. And I think we find that when the, these two disciples finally realized that it was Jesus that had been with them the whole time, they say, we're not our hearts burning within our chest while he was speaking and while he was opening the scriptures to us. It's, it's in hindsight that they recognize the presence of the Lord has been with them, even in the midst of their grief, even in the midst of their struggles, even in the midst of, of this hardship. And I think that's the good news for us, that yes, things are hard right now. Things are tough right now. And, and that, that seems to be that ongoing theme that I, I just keep hitting on. And yet the presence of God is with us, whether we see it or not. And I think that's the promise. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the promise of, of our faith, the promise of God's claim upon us as beloved children, that we are never alone, even in the times when it feels like it. So that's really the direction that this sermon is going to go as well. So if you happen to catch this and then you're looking for my sermon on Sunday, they're probably going to sound pretty similar. But that's, that's the sense that, that I'm pulling from that today. I want to thank you for, for tuning in again. As always, if you find these helpful and you happen to be listening on iTunes, if you want to leave a rating and review, that's always helpful in that particular platform. 
Otherwise, I hope you have a blessed week. I hope you're staying safe and healthy. Prayers for you if if you are not. Prayers for you if you are uh, if if you have someone in your orbit who is sick or that heaven forbid you have you have lost to this virus or to any other situation. My my prayers and and my condolences for that. So, but I hope above all you are having a blessed week, and we will catch you next time. Take care, everybody.